if you do feel uncomfortable with how your body looks it during sex, then wear clothes during sex. Keep the lights off during sex. These are your erotic needs and your erotic needs matter. And it, you're not stupid or shameful or bad at sex if you prefer to wear socks or keep a sweater on or keep the lights off. There's nothing wrong with that. And actually it's in your best interest to advocate for those needs. And over time, you'll build trust with your partner because when your partner honors those needs, then you'll start to feel more comfortable and can have sex with the light on and can feel more comfortable in your body type. Um, and also receive the fact that your partner actually probably finds you really attractive. Welcome to Jamie's Giving Consent. The goal of the show is to introduce you to the people and ideas behind consent culture, empowering you with the tools to disrupt toxic patterns and pursue healthy desires. And speaking of healthy desires, if you like the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe to the channel. So if you get something valuable out of this, please consider hitting the subscribe button. A major idea behind consent culture is erotic wellness. And today I'm joined by a sex scholar, fiction novelist, and spiritual maven who helps feminine people feel healthy and empowered in their sexuality. Through their work, they strive to make sexual liberation the norm in a society that profits off of shame. I'm excited to have an in-depth talk on erotic wellness with Nadej from Pleasure Science. Thank you for being here, Nadej. I'm so excited to be here. And I love that you use um, my pronouns for anyone watching is she and they, but people rarely yeah. use they. And so I love that you did that. And um, it's such a good practice for, I think, anybody listening to, to just weave those in and, and try it out because I know it's new for people, but I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Yeah, it's not on my list of topics, but just pausing on that, I feel like so many people struggle with they, them pronouns for anybody who's non-binary or transitioning or just kind of questioning their own gender. So I like to practice it for that reason, because it kind of opens that door. Absolutely. So we're talking about erotic wellness. And what I want to talk about first is kind of like, what is erotic wellness for, for those that, that don't know? Like how I would define erotic wellness is basically like, you have your erotic self and all of the things that you're into, whether that be kink or a uh, sensual play, or you really love the sexual. I just did an episode with about uh, erotic pleasure maps where we talked about lots of different ways to do pleasure. And then wellness being like, how do you support that in a really healthy way? So how do you define erotic wellness? Oh, I love your definition. Um, I would say everything that you said, and on top of that, it's, um, figuring out how to be in your body. Um, I mean, pretty much what you said, it's really about being intentional with weaving pleasure into your life, um, taking care of your body. It does have to do with sex. Obviously the word erotic is right next to wellness. Um, but I think it has so much more to do with uh, feeling comfortable in yourself, connecting to your body, understanding your boundaries. And people are actually practicing erotic wellness all the time in their regular daily wellness routines. And they probably don't even realize that's erotic wellness. So um, one really important thing when we think about enjoying sex and being able to enjoy sex is being able to be relaxed so you can receive pleasure. And erotic wellness helps us learn how to slow down in so many other ways and heal trauma as well. That's another part of it. Um, so that way when we're in erotic moments, whether it's solo sex or partnered sex or group sex, 
you can really be present in it and get all of the health benefits of sex because sex is also an incredibly healthy thing for us to do, right? It can boost your immune system. It's a mood booster as well. Um, if people who masturbate regularly have a longer lifespan, we now know this thanks to scientific evidence. Um, but what comes along with sex is shame. It's sort of this like non-negotiable pairing that we all have to overcome and deal with. And, um, and so that's also a big part of erotic wellness. Getting into all of that, um, let's talk about the nervous system and how the nervous system works. Because the first thing you mentioned was that there has to be like this level of calm so that you can actually be present. What does that mean and how is it related to our nervous system? Absolutely. So there's the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. Uh, the parasympathetic nervous system is when you're in the rest and digest mode. It's when you're calm. It's when you're able to receive pleasure. Neuroscientists who study sex literally have proven that if you're not in a calm and relaxed state, you can't enjoy sex because your sympathetic nervous system is activated, which is the fight or flight mode. Um, adrenaline is going through you. It's, it's when you're nervous, when you're stressed. And sex, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, so it's very easy to have your sympathetic nervous system be activated and be having sex. And instead of being calm and relaxed, we're thinking, does my body look good? Does my pussy smell okay? Uh, do, you know, like all of these thoughts or like, is my penis big enough? Um, all types of thoughts are running through our head and we put pressure on ourselves and can very easily activate that sympathetic nervous system. And um, erotic wellness helps you learn how to activate the parasympathetic nervous system instead and access a state of calm, a state of relaxation and all of that good stuff. And I think for anybody, cause those are a lot of words like parasympathetic and sympathetic and da, 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 da. A great way to think about that is parasympathetic nervous system starts with a P. So think of pausing, resting, being calm and sympathetic nervous system starts with an S. So you think of stress and that's a good way to distinguish both and understand that even if you're not a sex scholar or a consent expert, like, you know, the two of us, um, and still be able to understand these concepts. And for me, understanding the difference between those two states is erotic wellness. Um, and so one way that people can soothe their nervous system and probably already are practicing erotic wellness is through beauty routines, like your morning routine or your evening routine before you go to bed and you're putting on moisturizer. That's a really powerful way that we slow down, that we enter into a kind of resting state. And it's a way that people are already practicing erotic wellness and teaching themselves how to soothe their nervous system. And so the key to, uh, this is why erotic wellness has so much more to do with sex because the trick to erotic wellness is practicing these rituals that calm ourselves, right? So then it becomes more familiar to be relaxed when you're experiencing pleasure and whether that's eating, listening to music, putting on makeup or having sex as opposed to it feeling more familiar to be stressed. Because I think a lot of us with so much pressure we feel um, to look good, to attract our mate, you know, what have you, it is just so much more familiar and even comfortable, I think, to be stressed out by sex. And so we really have to unlearn that. And that is how erotic wellness outside of the bedroom, outside of just purely having sex, comes into play. Hmm. 
Yeah, and at the same time, I also want to recognize, like you talked about, like getting used to it because so many of us are used to go, go, go. If I'm not being productive, something's wrong. Yeah. I got to take care of this. I got to take care of that. The kids need this. The job needs that. I got to answer an email. And we end up in getting spun out and just in this constant burnout cycle. And that affects your sex life as well. Oh, big so, time. I, yeah. So do you have also maybe like, what do, what do, what do you, is your advice to somebody who's just day to day life, like not even getting into eroticism? Like so for some people, like you're so stressed out, like thinking about eroticism seems like yeah. a big leap. Absolutely. I mean, I would say take a step back and ask yourself this question. What is one thing that I can do that can just help me feel calmer in this day? Because again, it doesn't have to be about sex, you know? Um, and I think what you said is so on point. Like, it can, be, it can be so stressful to even think about having sex sometimes that we don't even want to do it. We may not even want to do it with ourselves. So take that off the table. Recognize that those feelings are perfectly fine and normal. And our libidos are always going to fluctuate throughout our life. So you're not weird or wrong or broken if you are going through a time in your life where you don't really want to have sex that much um, and ask yourself, what's one thing I can do for myself to feel better? Is it going for a walk? Is it eating something I really want to eat? You know, one way that I think we can practice erotic wellness is by looking at our eating patterns and recognizing mm -hmm. that with, so with diet culture, right, we're always taught to like, we're conditioned and taught and even given gold stars if we diet, if we starve ourselves, this, that, or the other. Yeah. But um, when you teach yourself not to eat food, when you feel the urge to be hungry, you also subconsciously teach yourself that like you don't deserve pleasure because food is pleasure. And that um, you can just train yourself to stop, to not want to listen to any of your body's urges, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and that can bleed into your sex life where you might feel the urge to have sex and, and start going on a sex diet and being like, I don't want to be seen as a slut or um, whatever it is in your head. But you start ignoring the urges to be an erotic person by having already started ignoring your urges to eat food when you're hungry or if you're craving a burger and you're like but i can't eat that because of xyz reason um again you're just denying yourself pleasure it's not really healthy and so yeah. i hope that answered your question because i feel like i went on a bit of a tangent there but <laughs> that's all good i was thinking too on the flip side of that if you're someone who is um uh, dieting in a healthy way. Like for example, I'm lactose intolerant. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to eat pizza with just anybody. Like that's a special occasion because I could be a little sick afterward. Yeah. Um, but that's like, you know, talking about what is the healthy desire because like with food, I feel like that's a great place to go to get in touch with your senses because you can put a little distance between you and like a reward or something you're really, really excited for. And instead of binging, end up uh, enjoying the process more, being more like, yeah. what is the taste? What is the enjoyment? Um, what does this remind me of? Yeah. So there's, there's that flip side of it also. And actually that's another, you know, going back to your question of like, what can people do to mm -hmm. practice erotic wellness outside mm -hmm. of sex? What you just described is actually a psychological mm -hmm. technique called savoring. And it has mm -hmm. been scientifically proven to increase human happiness. And it's literally what exactly what you just said, where you're in the moment, 
you intentionally take a pause and you start naming everything you like about what's going on. I like the way this pasta tastes. I like the texture of this pasta. I like the person mm-hmm. who I'm enjoying, like the pizza. I like the, the company I'm with while I'm eating this pizza. And when we practice savoring exactly like you said, um, we can also learn how to do that in the bedroom, where if you're having sex with someone and you're a little bit nervous, maybe it's the first time or the first time in a while or another reason why you're nervous, because fuck, do you really need a reason? No? <laughs> like. Um, It can really help to also during sex take a pause and think, I really like how my partner is kissing me. I really like how their skin feels next to mine. And start just in your brain naming all the things you really like about that moment. That helps you savor it. That helps you slow down. And if for any reason you're stressed about something, that can also activate that parasympathetic nervous system and really calm you down. Yeah. I heard an interesting fact about the sympathetic nervous system and it was saying like if you eat like a high inflammatory diet, so like lots of fried foods, it actually makes it easier for you if you'd be stressed out because it causes inflammation in that part of your brain. Negative thought patterns and um, kind of just like being moody and feeding negative thoughts will do the exact same thing. It will cause inflammation. So I love that you mentioned like making sure that you're putting yourself in a good mood and that's scientifically proven to increase wellness. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And and again, I mean, listen, there's so many ways to practice erotic wellness. It's like we're yeah. just listing them all out and they don't even have to do with sex. Yeah. And let's see here. When when it also comes to erotic wellness, I feel like especially for those of us who are feminine presenting or raised with a uh, the, the idea of what is to be feminine, especially in American culture, um, we end up with lots of mixed messages. Like you talked about like diet being one of them or being worried about what your body looks like. That's very much uh, something I hear repeated across the way. So um, how do we actually talk about the, those hard places to navigate or where people have experienced trauma? Yeah, well, I think um, if you're thinking about discussing that with a partner, like that you have insecurities, Um, with regards to how you look. First off, I'll say that um, a study, an annual study is released every year about like sex patterns of people in the United States and that was just released. Um, And the number two reason why people have difficulty having sex regardless of their gender is body image and the way that someone's body looks. So I would say right off the bat, like try to figure out how you can talk about that with your lover because chances are they're feeling the exact same way about their body Um, and that you can actually bond over that and overcome that. And then the second thing I'd say is that if you do feel uncomfortable with how your body looks during sex, then wear clothes during sex. Keep the lights off during sex. These are your erotic needs and your erotic needs matter. And you're not stupid or shameful or bad at sex if you prefer to wear socks or keep a sweater on or keep the lights off there's nothing wrong with that and actually it's in your best interest to advocate for those needs and over time you'll build trust with your partner because when your partner honors those needs then you'll start to feel more comfortable and can have sex with the light on and can feel more comfortable in your body type Um, and also receive the fact that your partner actually probably finds you really attractive. And like when you build that trust by standing up for yourself and getting your needs met, um, you overcome these things or you discover that maybe you're dating someone who 
their trauma just isn't going to be compatible with yours and they can't hold space for your erotic needs. So you win either way by standing up for yourself. But that's what I would say is maybe the first the first way to go and also some tips because I know talking about sex is, is super scary. So um, one way that experts recommend initiating these conversations about sex with a new lover or a long-term lover is by going on a hike or a walk with that person. Um, the reason being is because you don't have to make eye contact throughout the conversation and that can actually decrease your stress and help you have these difficult conversations and learn how to communicate about sex with your partner because that's also a skill that we learn over time. So that can really be helpful for people. Nice. I like that also because I was going to ask you about when, because once you actually are in the bedroom doing the sexy mm. thing may not be the right time to have that conversation. Absolutely. So knowing, knowing when to disclose can be such an important skill set. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is another huge element. Like if you're going to be having um, a, a conversation about sex, the place you're having the conversation is important. It's best not to have that conversation in an erotic setting so or during sex. While, but it is good to check in during sex. So there's a difference between checking in and saying, oh, Jamie, do you need a pause? Are you having a good time? Um, do you want some water? Do you want it to be harder? That's checking in. But having a mm -hmm. conversation about sexual feedback, just like you said, is something different. And having that conversation during sex is really not the best time because we can take things the wrong way and take things really, really personally. But having that conversation instead maybe in the kitchen or again on a hike in a non-erotic setting is really really powerful and i'd say the other two things to really keep in mind when you're going to be talking about sex is also timing try not to have the conversation when you're hungry um, because that just doesn't help you might be hangry it sounds so silly but trust <laughs> make sure you've eaten you know like be in a like try and have the conversation when everybody's in more or less a good mood if you can and then also keep in mind what your tone sounds like so it's really best to have a curious tone when you're talking about sex with your partner and the sex you guys are having because again it's so easy to take things personally and the truth is most of the time when you're giving sexual feedback, it isn't personal. Like if I'm having sex with Jamie and she touches my butt in a certain way that I don't like, it's not because Jamie did something wrong. It's because I've never liked that. Right. So it's not personal. Yeah. But then it, giving that feedback, if I say it in a way where it's like, well, you did this. Um, that makes it really personal as opposed to saying, oh, you know, I noticed you touched my butt the other day during sex. What about that? Do you like? then maybe I listen to what Jamie has to say, why Jamie enjoys it. And then I can say, oh, okay, you know, I've never been the biggest fan of butt stuff, but maybe we can figure out a way to meet both of our needs in a way where I don't feel like we're doing too much of the butt stuff, but you can still appreciate my butt if that really turns you on. And that tone right there, that curiosity and asking questions can really make things, remind everyone that it's not personal. Um, but again, also practice makes well, I say practice makes pleasure. Practice does not make perfect and perfection isn't the goal, but practice makes pleasure. And so the first time you have the conversation, if it doesn't really go perfect and people are taking things personal, that's part of the course. That's just part of the journey. Let everything simmer down and try and have the conversation again. And over time, you'll get better. Or again, over time, you may realize that you're dating someone that isn't compatible with your communication style 
or is not compatible with your erotic preferences. You know, in relationships, we talk so much about compatibility and having similar interests and finding your match, but we don't often think about the fact that it's also important to have erotic compatibility, at least in some fundamental level. You can always learn and grow sexually with another person, but if that foundation of erotic compatibility hasn't been there from the get-go, that's something to think about and something to consider. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel as though like there are times with some lovers where like you, you jump into getting into a sexual situation, everything's perfect and great. And it's later that that conversation comes on because mm -hmm. then you want to experiment more. You want to change this or that. And for some lovers, it's it's from the very beginning because yeah. you're trying to figure it out. Or maybe it has to do with the gender because it's a different gender than you are used to playing with. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just really good to just have that open communication. Yeah. And uh, like you mentioned, um, the hangry, it's like... <laughs> What, what is the acronym for that? Like hungry, angry, lonely, tired, like halt, don't have a conversation. I've never you're heard in the place to have that. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of, um, I heard that nonviolent communication through, through that. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, whoever's listening, remember halt. Cause that, that's on point. Also on this, I find a lot of times when I talk to people about um, eroticism, like there's a little bit of like something's wrong with me because uh, I received all these messages as a kid about how you shouldn't be this way or that way. And now I'm just confused. Like I want to experiment, but I also feel ashamed about it. Like how do we deal with grappling with all of these uh, mixed messages that we are not getting from ourselves, but from society as a whole or our family? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, we're all programmed through all the communities that we touch, religious communities, family communities, um, academic communities, and then on top of it, the media and all of these things. So you, you're totally right. We get so many mixed messages about what it means to be a sexual being, what it means to be empowered sexually. You know, one of the unfortunate side effects of the amazing women empowerment feminist movement is that bigger companies like H&M, for example, will realize like, oh, my consumers like feminism. So I'm now gonna create an ad campaign around feminism that gives actually the wrong message on accident, you know, which is, oh, sexual empowerment can mean wearing provocative clothing, which is great. I love my little slutty dresses and I'm not telling anyone not to dress however you want because you have that right to dress however you <laughs> yeah. want. But it can be a really mixed message to watch a lot of music videos or watch a lot of fashion and see people attach sexual empowerment to not wearing a lot of clothing if that isn't your vibe. Um, or maybe it's your vibe to not wear a lot of clothing, but only in private and only with your person. And then when you're out in the world, you're wearing sweatpants and you're thinking like, man, I guess I'm not sexually empowered, but that's not really true, you know? Um, I'd say a great testament of sexual empowerment has nothing to do with how sexual you are, how kinky you are, because that's another mixed message, that like uh -huh. a sexually empowered person is a freak in the sheets. Um, that's completely subjective, you know? Yeah. You, and you also like don't have to love BDSM and be super explorative to be a sexually empowered person. So throw all of that out the window because that isn't really true. I'd say the true testament of sexual empowerment is someone who knows their boundaries and honors them. And that's pretty much it. You know, you could be the kinkiest flower in the garden and you have great boundaries and have anal sex all day, every day tied up. 
and you're just as empowered as someone who wants to have sex only on Mondays at a specific time and that's their boundary and you know what have you the same level of sexual empowerment because they're both honoring their boundaries they know themselves and they're able to communicate that and get those needs met and if they want to wear provocative clothing amazing because again I love my little slutty dresses but that doesn't need to mean that it doesn't mean anything really about sexual empowerment and I love that we're going here next because you're talking about setting boundaries which Mm -hmm. is something else I feel that the average person says i'm terrible at that thing i'm terrible at setting boundaries my boss asked me to do something i say yes my mom asked me for something i go okay yes like it's it's part of the stress also so like how do people even start setting boundaries with people that's actually gonna stick yeah um one thing that i did because i was a super people pleaser um is i actually created an excel sheet and I called it my boundary database. So when oh. I just, dis- oftentimes we discover a boundary after our boundary has been walked over, after it's been broken. Oh, so true. You know, yeah. yeah. It's like, I didn't know that my boundary was no butt stuff until I tried butt stuff as, I mean, that's an example, but, um, but really with anything, like I didn't know that I didn't like this type of food, like I didn't like sushi until I tried it, right? So you don't know your boundaries until after they've been broken. So I'd say the first thing is to give yourself permission for being imperfect, because that is how you really discover your boundaries. And then what I did was I started to create a boundary database because I was someone who was not very good with my boundaries. I love people really hard, friends, lovers, family, doesn't matter. So I was exactly like you were talking about. Everyone asks for something and I say yes. Um, Or in the bedroom, someone would want to try something and I kind of feel in my body that like I didn't want to do it, but I would do it anyway, right? Um, And so I created this boundary database where I would have a one category that said like, what was the boundary I discovered? And then when I would say no, I would actually put a tick on the Excel sheet and it was sort of like giving myself a gold star. Like being like, you won a small battle today, girl, like go for you. And um, that really helped because it showed me like when I would tell stories in my head that I wasn't good at keeping boundaries, I'd go Mm -hmm. and I would say, wait a minute, I kept that boundary and I discovered that boundary because discovering boundaries is also a win, even though it hurts. Um, And so that's what I did. And I would encourage people to do that because sometimes it just helps to have proof that you are strong to undo those stories we tell ourselves. As you're saying that, it reminds me one of mine that I do for myself because I I tend to talk out my my boundaries with myself is sort of like I used to tolerate this and Mm -hmm. now it's going to be like that. Mm -hmm. So it's like telling a new story of like, yeah, I have been tolerating this a long time. That doesn't mean I have to keep tolerating it and I can set a new boundary. Oh, I love that. But, and auditory processing after. is powerful. What were you going to say? Oh, it does happen after because you, you don't realize. You don't realize that you need a boundary around that thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I feel like also once you start setting boundaries, you realize that there's more boundaries to set because it starts small. It's little things like I don't let my partner keep me up uh, late at night. And, and then you have to define like, what is late at night? And then you have to share that with your partner. And then like, you're probably going to get it wrong a few times. Cause like, I'm a, I'm a late night talker. And then I'll be like, Oh my God, it's 4am. I didn't mean to stay up till 4am. So like you set them a little bit at a time. I love the Excel spreadsheet as an example, like writing things down also really yeah. matters. It does. Yeah. And also creating external ways to keep your boundaries with yourself. Right. So like mm-hmm. I loved, I'm a talker too. Like 
you know, don't, I mean, no wonder we're talking together now, right? Um, (laughs) One thing that I would always do is if I was on the phone with a friend um, and it was like, I'm, I'm a writer and a educator, so I'm my own boss, right? So like, if someone would call me in the middle of my workday and I missed them, I'd be like, oh, I'm only going to talk for 20 minutes. And then two hours later, I'm kicking myself because while I loved connecting with a friend, I... I just took two hours out of my workday. That's not sustainable. That's not good. And so something that I started doing was creating external ways to keep commitments to myself. So if I would see a friend calling and I knew I wanted to answer, I would set a timer somewhere else for like 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And then once that timer went off and my friend would be like, what's that buzzing noise? I'd be like, oh, you know, I have another meeting. And it was a way to help me self-parent is what I call it. Um, Because Mm -hmm. that's also... That those are, you know, when you stand up for your boundaries in those little ways, it also really helps you set up, stand up and set up those boundaries in the bedroom. Yeah, I love it because it does not sound like it has anything to do with sex and it 100% has everything to do with sex. How, how good you are at expressing what you want and then also setting boundaries around the things that you don't want because yeah. we, we're very... We're very much a people pleasing society. Let's let's find a way to turn your no into a yes, and to to train yourself to do the opposite is so empowering, Absolutely. and that's really what it's all about. And I think that's why consent could be so confusing because it is true. We do live in a society, a capitalist society, that's all about oh, selling, yeah. and the key to selling is to to basically influence someone to believe that what they didn't need, they now need. And then of course we live in a society where men are still really taught that they should pursue people which can be really fun I love being pursued but it can it it, like they also get that like confusing messages about you know no actually means yes or talk her into it or keep pursuing her even after she's given you hints that it's kind of a no and maybe she just wants to be friends you know um and it's it sucks because I do really feel for men because I think just how women and like the sexual empowerment movement and queer people and basically all genders that aren't men, we get our own set of mixed signals about sexual empowerment. So do men. So we live in a society where women can be very sexualized and, you know, like the clothes you wear and it it invites in a certain amount of comments or behaviors that maybe uh, don't feel good to you. So how do you... um, as, as a woman in the world, be sexually empowered and be able to be provocative and also set those boundaries and feel good going out when you, you may not like what you're receiving. Like, how, how do we deal with that? I, for me, I'd say um, that's another way that practicing erotic wellness can really help because practicing erotic wellness is also about healing. And yeah. it's really unfortunate, but there's so many things that are outside of our control. And that's one of them. And so one thing that helps is, you know, if you go out, you got some feedback from the world that you didn't really want and you felt like you looked great and now you just feel sexualized and gross, go home, give yourself a bubble bath, have a cry. Crying is a very, very healthy release. Um, And it's just good to feel your feelings, you know, sit in that, sit in the unfairness of that because it isn't fair and it wasn't your fault, you know. Um, and then figure out ways to connect to your body, I'd say. Um, and again, erotic wellness, you know, do beauty routines, 
do yoga if that's your thing. Yoga personally isn't my thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. but a lot of people love yoga. Um, breath work can really be powerful. You know, one thing that I, I really teach a lot as a sex scholar is how a lot of practices that people would consider woo-woo, like breath work, actually can mm-hmm. be very, very powerful and very healing and really restorative. So I would say, make it a priority in your life to find activities that do restore you. And when you have a bad moment, when you have a bad experience, you fall back into your toolbox of activities you could do that boost your self-esteem, connect you back into your body. Um, It could even be something as simple as a nap, you know, but whatever those things are and giving yourself that permission to rest. I love that. I'm totally into the woo-woo stuff. I'm, I'm big into yoga. I've gotten into aerial yoga lately. Oh, I it's love really that. A great Amazing. Flip upside down and lots of like meditation time. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I can't recommend it enough. And um, as you're saying that, I'm also reminded, um, I oftentimes have like a self-care menu. So if I'm ever feeling <laughs> just like, um, not even like sad, depressed or anxious, just when I'm starting to hit that line of like, well, I'm not feeling pleasurable. I'm not feeling in my body. And I'm talking about like, I think most people know what I'm talking about, like being really in your head with racing thoughts. And then like you end up stubbing your toe or something. That's not being in your body. That's how I know I'm not in my body usually. Yeah. So like having that menu of things and yeah, taking a nap is on the list. And so is taking a bath and, but like, so is like brushing my teeth. Cause yeah. sometimes it's just those little things, um, or going for a walk cause nature has this, uh, like we're humans. We want to be in nature. We don't get far from earth and sustain ourselves. Absolutely. And also speaking of nature, um, great places to go. If you do need to soothe yourself are mountains, rivers, or oceans, because there's mm-hmm. a lot more negative ions in the air. And despite the name negative ion, it actually has really, really positive effects on our brain and can boost our mood and immune system just naturally. So if you're someone who going out into nature is already something that you like, try and find um, a, like a mountain range that's maybe within driving distance or a bus right away um, or an ocean or a river. But those natural destinations specifically have really, really good healthy properties in the air. And I did yeah. also want to say going back to your self-care menu, I love that. Um, mm-hmm. For people who are like me that don't like meditation <laughs> or yoga, because um, those have just, I don't know why, those just aren't for me. Um, I'd say some other great ways to practice erotic wellness and to get in your body. I love kickboxing. Like I want to hit things, Nice, you know, Nice. so that actually makes me feel good. Um, going for a run, Ooh, dancing. I love like mm-hmm. dancing in my room. So if you're someone who isn't really a meditator, that doesn't mean you don't have ways to access like soothing yourself, connecting to your body. It's really about finding ways to, to move and breathe that that just mm-hmm. bring you right back home and another great thing to do is actually something called grounding where you literally sit on the ground try and find grass or soil take mm-hmm. your shoes off have your your actual skin touching the grass if you're not allergic to grass um, because just like there's a lot of high concentration of negative ions in mountain ranges and oceans and rivers, there's a high concentration in the ground and your skin will actually soak mm. it up. So if like you don't really have access to go to a mountain range, cause that's, you know, that might be like a day trip. Um, but you yeah. do have a sidewalk that has grass, just go sit in the grass, take your shoes off, have a moment there that can also really help. 
I want to tie something else together because you mentioned being a little woo-woo and mm -hmm. I know one of the things you have on your site is around astrology mm -hmm. and how your sign affects your erotic wellness mm -hmm. and I'm thinking I know that you're a fire sign mm -hmm. and I've heard repeated over and over again um, that fire signs need movement meditation and stopping and slow yoga is just like no how fast can we do it can we be sweating well I'm I have a lot of water in my chart so I tend to really want to like sink and be in the emotions so there is a little something to astrology also. Not, not that everybody's into astrology, but I've gotten very into it over the last year. Oh, yeah. I've been studying astrology as a love since I was maybe 14 or 15. Me and my best friend at the time would go to the Barnes & Noble and just sit in those sections and read those books, those astrology books. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very cool that astrology is in vogue right now. But it is something that has um, a lot of historical significance. There's several different traditions of astrology um, that you can follow. There's Western astrology, uh, Eastern astrology, Chinese astrology. There's a lot of different things. And, you know, in places like China and India, like parents will actually look into someone's birth chart and hire people and pay thousands of dollars to learn about the astrology charts of their kids and their kids' potential like mate and marriage partner to see if that will be a compatible match. Like people really do um, still believe in the science behind all of this stuff. And it's great if astrology isn't for you, but if you're someone who is curious about astrology, just know that there is a lot to that. There is something there. And I think that astrology is such an incredible, fun way to learn about ourselves. And one thing that I love about astrology in a way that I use it is I will take someone's birth chart, which basically means when you're born, the stars, the moon, the planets are all in very specific placements when you're born. And that's what your astrology chart shows. It shows where all these planets were the day and the hour you were born. And based on where everything was in correlation to where you were born, so if you were born in Los Angeles, let's just say, that also matters. Um, it indicates certain things about your personality. And when I do birth charts, I actually focus on all the areas that are sex areas in a birth chart. And I use astrology as a way to help people overcome sexual shame because I like someone who maybe is a people pleaser. I'll be like, oh, well, Libra is in your Venus. You're a Libra. Huh? It's like, you're a Libra. Yep, I know. <laughs> um, yep, I, right. <laughs> So, but you know, like if Libra, like Jamie's a Libra, um, even though you have a Scorpio moon, right? Yes. And many planets in Scorpio. Oh, me too. I love those planets in Scorpio. It makes me feel like a bad bitch, but back to, <laughs> back to astro like using astrology to overcome that, yeah. you know, when people are a Libra, they tend to be told they're people pleasers and that can be true, but that also means that Libras know how to show up for people in really substantial ways and they're very intuitive. And so there's ways to use astrology to actually rework these things that we think are negative about ourselves. Like another one is if you're an Aries, you probably hear a lot that you're very impulsive, but actually that impulsive nature is pretty cool because it means that an Aries also just intuitively has a good idea of their own like pleasure because Aries like to trace pleasure that's why they can be impulsive um but that doesn't have to be a bad thing you know and so it's I, that's how I like using astrology and bringing that woo woo into what I do um because I just think it, it yeah. helps people love themselves more <laughs>
I notice a lot of people tend to hear astrology and they think horoscope, which mm. is not the same thing. No. It is one teeny tiny piece of astrology that most astrologers are like, that's not useful. So like we talked about, like there's a whole chart and we had to look at the planets and the timing and all that. And uh, it's, it's really interesting because it's a deep dive and kind of changes how you look at yourself and what's happened in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've got a lot of wisdom out of that and I'm, I'm interested to look at some of what you've written and what's oh, in yeah, those Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, anybody yeah. who is interested in astrology, I have an entire line of eBooks. Um, they're $8 mm -hmm. a piece. And uh, they're all on my website, pleasurescience.com. And each book breaks down what your erotic strengths are based on your sun sign, which is the sign that you're, it's usually the first sign people know. Like I'm a Sagittarius because I was born in December. Jamie's a Libra. You know, it, that, mm -hmm. it's usually the sign that you know um, that you are. And it goes over your erotic strengths. And then I have a holistic erotic wellness ritual specific to each astrology sign. Um, because I'm the type of girl who likes to give people actionable steps to improve their life. You know, I don't just want to give you positive words, which are also great. I want to give you ways to to do things and make your life better and try stuff out. And um, everything won't work for everybody. But I do think giving people just tips and action steps and then they can try it and say, oh, maybe that didn't work for me or maybe a part of this worked for me and I'm going to tinker with mm -hmm. it and make it my own. I mean, all of that is erotic wellness. Very nice. And you just partially answered my next question. I was going to ask, where can people find you? So pleasurescience.com. Where else can yes. people find you? Um, I'm on like at pleasure science on all social media, except for Twitter. Cause I don't have it in me. Um, <laughs> and then I'm also on medium.com where, um, I'm one of the top writers on the platform. I write about sex, uh, spiritual empowerment, um, mm -hmm all types of things. I also discuss a lot of the latest research on sex. Um, so if you're just someone who likes good facts that are really interesting, um, you can find me at, at Pleasure Science as well. So if you just look up Pleasure Science anywhere, you'll, you'll find me. <laughs> Excellent. And then my last question, speaking of actionable steps, someone who's watching this, listening to this, um, what is one thing that they can do, um, like really do right now mm -hmm. that will help improve their erotic wellness? Um, I would encourage you to find a way to move your body that feels good. Um, if you're someone who has a physical disability, um, or if you're someone who's able-bodied, you know, wherever you fall on that spectrum, everyone has ways to connect to their body. And I think in our society, unfortunately, we really only provide ways to get in touch with your body for people who are more able-bodied. And so I would say something that... I encourage everybody to do is figure out how to move your body in a way that feels good um, and recognize that it doesn't matter if, like it doesn't matter how your body works, there's gonna be ways to connect to it. And, um, and I'd say that the other thing, I know you said just one thing, but the other thing is also <laughs> to try and be as open-minded as possible. Being open-minded doesn't mean you say yes to everything and being open-minded doesn't mean that you ignore your own boundaries. But um, being open-minded, like, again, science has really shown that the people who have the best sex lives are open-minded, which doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you're going to try something you don't want to do. It means that you have the capacity to sit and listen to desires that differ from your own, and you're not going to yuck someone else's yum. And when we do that, it means that you're also not going to turn around and start shaming yourself. And by the way, yucking mm -hmm. someone else's yum is exactly what it sounds like. It's basically when someone says, 
that they like something and you're like, ew. When you do that to other people, it really only shows that you do that to yourself. And we're 10 times harder on ourselves than we are with anyone else. So if you can learn how to maintain an open mind and listen to experiences that differ from your own without taking it personal, you're doing yourself some huge favors. And that's a great way to start practicing erotic wellness. That's super easy. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with me and talking on today's show. Um, to my listeners, if you found this content helpful, please hit the like and subscribe buttons. It really helps a lot to help others find this because of how the algorithms work on uh, YouTube and wherever you're listening to this. Um, it helps the channel out a lot. And if you are a true fan, consider subscribing to the Patreon. Love you more and we'll see you next time. Bye.